0: Welcome to episode two of Daughter of the Deep, Rick Riordan's new book. Today we're going to be talking over chapters 6 through 10 and in the previous episode we went over chapters 1 through 5 plus a kind of introduction and summary of the book. So if you haven't watched that first episode I would go back and do that just so you kind of know what's happening and know a little bit about the book and maybe learn about the author if you've never heard of him before. But without further ado, let's get into the book now, Daughter of the Deep, chapter 6 through 10. So we left off where Jim, Anna, and her friends are discussing who they think would have been the one to set off the bombs that destroyed their school, Harding Pencroft, and... They come to the conclusion that, well, the person who would have done it had to have been an inside person. And they would have wanted to get out before it hit them. So, they're thinking that whoever did it is on the bus with them. They think whoever is the inside spy is the one who is currently with them that traveled with them on the bus. So, chapter 6 starts out with, they and half an hour later and they're on their training vessel, which is called the Varana. And so Anna walks over to all the other dolphins and remember their specialty is in communications and Anna speaks Irish to them. And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but what she says is there's a betrayer at us. And so no one else in another house is going to know what they're saying unless they somehow know Irish. So that's their, she explains how that's kind of their language that they talk to each other and it's like it is like a really rare language to know and speak fluently so the chance of anyone understanding what they're saying is kind of low so she quickly in irish fills them in on what's happening the sabotage treachery and the cold-blooded murder that just took place at their school so then someone who's named Halema's like, how do we find this traitor? What are we going to do with them if we find them? And then it's like, we don't even know who it is. For now, we just need to be quiet and be on the alert. And so she speaks to them in Irish again. And she says, be it you're watching and listening. And then and she's like, again, that sums up pretty much everything. And then someone else who's in Dolphin, whose name is Leanne, her face goes brick red and she's our best at counter espionage. She's probably taking this news as a personal insult and she scans their classmates, like maybe thinking that one of them was a betrayer. And she's like, I had friends in the other grades. Cause remember the freshman class is the only grade that they know of that survived, that's them. And then Jack Wu, who's another, said, we all did, another dolphin. And he said, you've got, Anna, do you have any idea why the professor assigned a shark to you? Like, why was she given a bodyguard? And she's like, I don't know. Like, she shakes her head, and then he's standing there, like, some f- in earshot. And so he's just giving them all strange looks. And she's like, no clue, but hopefully we'll find out once we're at sea. And then Virgil, who's another Dolphins, like, he used to teach at Land Institute, you know. And then Aaron's like, who? And then he said, Dr. Hewitt. So do- would could Dr. Hewitt be the one who was, like, the inside help if he used to work for Land Institute? And then Hewitt says, freshmen, gather up. So then she tells them in ASL, be alert, which I guess is tapping your temple with all four fingers. All four fingers. We have five fingers. Okay, that sounds a little bit odd, but with your, I guess not your thumb, but okay. Mm-hmm. So Hewitt's finishing up talking to this like security group and she reads his lips and all he can, all she can read is bias time. And so then the guards nod, and they jog over to the shuttle bus, which is what they all, all of them drove there in. And Bernie's still at the wheel, and as soon as the guards get on board, Bernie closes the doors, and they drive off. And she's like, why is Hewitt dismissing three perfectly good guards? And why would he send Bernie away with the bus that we were supposed to be using to drive? And she remembers what Virgil said was that he used to teach at Land Institute. So he walks over to the group of them all. All the, all the classes are together. And he's like, freshman, you need to understand that this is no longer a weekend trip. This is no longer a test for school. This is an assignment. And all of you were in danger, not just Anna. And <laughs> as she says, all the others glanced at me. Awkward. I mean, yeah, and then he was like, yes, yes, I'm going to explain once we're out of range. And then he doesn't say what they're out of range of, like, what are they trying to get away from? So she looks towards their training vessel. It's a 120-foot training vessel that's called the Varana and it's just this huge yacht. And it on the prow, it has the HP logo with the four house icons. It has the shark, the dolphin, the cephalopod, and the orca. And the words Harding Pencroft Academy are on this like scroll below it. So then Hewitt's like, I know you all have questions, but... And then Rise, who's a orca, said, I do. You know, we've all got family that think we're dead. Like we need to contact them and tell them. But then Hewitt snaps and he's like, no, I know this is hard for you guys, but it's better if both your family and Land Institute thinks that you're dead. We can't have them realize that there was one class that escaped. And then everyone's like, seriously? And then Jim's like, frowns and he looks at the tablet that Dr. Hewitt has in his hand. And he's like, sir, what is that? And then Hewitt looks at it and he's like, his face goes white. Like he's scared. And he says, everyone get on the yacht. We need to leave now. And then the first words of chapter seven is, it's not that simple. Like with a 120 foot yacht, you can't just turn on the ignition and go. You've got supplies that have to be stowed. You have systems that need to be checked. You have all these little things that need to be done for this gigantic boat to be able to go. And they've worked on this yacht like over a dozen times. They know the ship. They know what they need to do. But it still takes time for them to get ready. And it doesn't help them that they're like stumbling over all this equipment on the floor that's like never been there before. Like there's these gold boxes that kind of look like lockers. You know, for those, like, little lockers that are kind of, like, if you would see them at, like, rollerblade rinks, you know, like, the little ones that are just meant for, like, a pair of shoes. That That's kind of what they are, and they say gold lever level clearance on them, and they have these, like, fingerprint pad things on them. And she said that she's seen them at school, but she never really knew what they were for, because usually they were in that room where only the upper grades were allowed to go in. And of course, no one tells them anything of what happens in there. So they have no idea what they're for. So of course, Anna has a job to do too. So she's checking the batteries on the comm system. She's checking the satellite dishes. She's checking these 3D sonar stuff. And Jim, Jim and I's just walking kind of behind her, like giving orders to his people and says, making sure I'm not being accosted by any ninja sea lions. Ninja sea lions, that would be cool. You could train them, and you could have an army of ninja sea lions. I'm sorry, but that just sounds super cool to me. Okay, back to the story. So then over the speakers, Dr. Hewitt speaks, and he's saying, Prefects report to the bridge. So Anna has to go, and I don't remember if Jim is a prefect. I'm going to check real quick. Okay, yes, Jim and I is the freshman prefect for them so of course he's there too and then he okay so they enter the room and dr hewitt looks like he just barfed up his lungs or something i don't know because he's like wheezing like he just ran a 10k marathon he's like sprawled against his chair and he just he he looks bad i guess and then franklin who's in orca i think yeah he's like sir. at least let me take your blood pressure like they're seriously concerned about this dude and and Anna's thinking like what's wrong with him like this seems more than just like a reaction to stress and then he was like I'm fine I'm fine gather around you for And then Tia's looking very uneasy about this because since she's, like, officer of the watch, so she's supposed to be, you know, watching over everybody, I guess. So she's checking everything, making sure they're in autopilot and all this stuff and to make sure that they're going at maximum speed so they can get away from whatever Dr. Hewitt's tablet saw on his iPad. And so Dr. Hewitt's breathing, like, very, is it's very ragged and, like, torn, and he's like, normally the information I'm about to give you is revealed in stages. And this weekend's trial was meant to give you your first exposure of what Harding Pencroft really is. And it's true mission. And everyone's like, true mission? And it says, Franklin brushes his streak of blue hair behind his left ear. The dude's got blue hair. A streak of blue hair. It says, he'd always struck me as a bit of a follower. But I do like that one rebellious gesture against our dress code. Why can't they dye their hair? Mm. And you, it's like, yeah, partially. Having our graduates in positions of power helps us in many ways, but we intend to prepare you for more than that. You're meant to become the custodians of harding Pencroft's secrets, the agents of its great agenda. It's a very heavy responsibility, and every student, not every student succeeds. That's probably why they have this whole test in the weekend thing, to see who's really worthy of knowing the secrets, I guess. And then Hewitt's like, and now you're going to require a crash course. Dakar opened that case. So there's a gold case on the table. One of those, like, shoe locker things. And so she's really, like, confused. Because at school, if they were to open one of those, you'd get expelled. Like, that end of story. Like, no one would ever remember you. So she's like, uh, um, why? And then, so... Okay, so she puts her hand on that pad where you stick your finger and the lid pops open. And inside, nestled in like black packaging foam, is like the four of the strangest looking guns she'd ever seen. And then Jim, of course, is like, oh, wow. Like, he looks like he just opened his Christmas present. And he's like, can I? And then Hewitt nods. And he like is lo- taking out the guns and he's looking at them. And one looks like a pistol, but it's too small to be a shotgun. And some kind of a grenade launcher, an oversized flare gun, and all this stuff. How is that fitting in a shoe locker? I'm confused here. Maybe I just don't know what a shoe locker is. And then they look like they just look weird. Like they don't even look like they work. That's what Anna's thinking. Like there's no way that these guns can actually function. They look like 19th century officer swords or dueling pistols. You know, like things that aren't really in working order today. And then Jim looks at it and he's like, this is a Leyden gun. And then Anna's like, that's not really familiar. So she looks at Franklin, who's the Orca rep. And like, they're supposed to know all these like historical facts and stuff. And like, it says their members could destroy anyone on Jeopardy. They excel at other things, but we jokingly call them House Wikipedia. It's cool how like every few chapters or show they give this like paragraph about kind of the kids in the class. Like they had the one with the cephalopods with like the box of Legos, and then they had the one with her about the communications. Like I think that's cool how they how Rick incorporated that into the story, and then Franklin nods and he's like Jules Verne, and then Hewitt's like yes, well shockingly he reported a few things that were correct. And then Anna remembers who that is. And then she's like, the summer before our chum year, we had to read Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and The Mysterious Island, which were some of the first science fiction novels about marine technology. And two of the main characters in The Mysterious Island were Harding and Pencroft, men who had the same surnames as the founders of the school. And so Anna's like, okay, that's a little bit weird. And then later in the book, the sci- crazy sci-fi submarine commander, Captain Nemo, revealed that his name was actually Prince Dakar. She said, I got to admit, I did get a shiver down my back. Like, it's just weird seeing these real names used in this book. And she's like, Seeing as the most important building at HP was Verne's Hall, I suppose the school's founders must have been hardcore Jules Verne fanboys. Maybe they recruited my family generations ago as an inside joke because they liked our surname. And she says, like, one of the things that she remembered about the book was that he had all these sorts of crazy guns. There was, like, technology that didn't even exist at the time. And so Tia's picks up one, and she's like, this cannot be real. And then he was like, careful, prefect. And then Anna's losing her patience. She's like, our school's been destroyed for who knows what reason. Her brother's probably dead. You know, they're on the run from a rival school, which he found out. they've been in a cold war for like more than a hundred years and now it turns out that that big secret that the upper classes are supposed to keep a secret is just that dr hewitt enjoys live action role playing with these guns like what in the world come on and then so he brought along these bunch of boxes and she says you know he probably expected the kids to run around on the on the ship yelling pew pew at each other and she's like i'm starting to doubt my sanity or his sanity. And she's saying, and I'm starting to doubt my sanity for following his orders. So, you know, Jim's still cradling this gun like a baby. And so Hewitt says, Prefect Twain, can I? Like he wants to hold the gun or something. And so reluctantly, Jim gives it over and he's like, and then Dr. Hewitt looks at it and he smiles at Jim and he's like, I hope you'll forgive me, Prefect. This is gonna be faster than explaining. And then Jim's like, what? And then Hewitt shoots him the world you're supposed to be a teacher teachers aren't supposed to shoot their students and then the only sound was a high pressured hiss and then jim was like it looked like he was kind of wrapped in these like flickering white things like beams of electricity and then his eyes cross and he falls down chapter eight starts off with franklin yelling you killed him and then hewitt just like casually turning the dials on one of the weapons and he's like did i And then Tia looks up at Anna in alarm and is like wondering, what are we going to do? And then she's like, Anna says, I'm paralyzed between the desire to help my fellow student or the urge to tackle our teacher. And then Franklin, you know, presses the two fingers against Jim's neck. And he's like, no, he's got a strong pulse. But you can't just go around electrocuting people. And he was like, there's not going to be any permanent damage. And then Anna says, that's kind of not the point here. So now that they know that, I guess, that he isn't really in any fatal danger, Tia turns her attention to the gun that she was holding. And so she starts to dissemble it, just to see what it's made out of, see what's inside of it, I guess. And then she pulls out this like, I don't know, this like shiny white thing that's like long, like a tube almost, I guess. And Tia's like, it looks like some kind of glass. And Hewitt's like, well, not exactly. Each projectile is based on a laden jar. It stores an electrical charge that's released upon impact. And he also says, but the casing is constructed from a special type of secreted calcium carbonate. And Anna's like, like abalone shell. And then Hewitt looks like pleased and he's like, precisely. And then she's like, "I don't know to well, whether to feel gratified that he gave me like a, that I gave him a correct response because he just shot my go- my bodyguard," you know. And then she says, "If the casing is secreted, where is it secreted from?" And then he would smiles and he's like, "Upon discharge, every trace of the projectile is destroyed. The stun effects last anywhere from a few minutes to an hour, depending on the target's constitution." And then Jim wakes up, he snorts, and he sits up shaking his head, and he's like, what happened? And then Franklin says, "Hewitt shot you. And then Jim looks at his teacher in like awe. Like, it says, as if he didn't know the old man was capable of being so cool. What the what? He just shot you. I would be, I would have shot him back probably, electrocuted him, let him know what it feels like, I don't know. And then Hewitt's like, you're fine, on your feet. I was just about to explain. In the event of another attack by Land Institute, you need to use these guns, and you'll find them more reliable than conventional guns. And then Jim gets sad, and he's like, he's like, I'm not allowed to use my guns anymore. And then Hewitt's like, I'm not doubting your skills. I'm highly aware that you have the highest markmanship scores in the school's history, but our enemies are going to have this body armor that's quite effective against regular firearms. And then he's like, Kevlar isn't perfectly, but then he was like, I'm not talking about Kevlar. Besides, we are shooting to incapacitate, not to kill. We're not Land Institute. We're better than that. And he sounded disgusted, like when he said it, like he sounded genuinely disgusted about his like former employer. And then he's like, the range of the guns is limited, but however, any contact with the body will release the charge. And you'll find that the guns are accurate about to 100 feet. And then Jim's muttering, like, only one-third of the range of my regular guns. <laughs> and then he was like, well, let's not hope that you have to test your skills with either of those weapons, but we have to be prepared. There's three more boxes like these in the armory, and I've set the locks to open to the handprint of any prefect. He's like, Twain, arm your sharks first, then the rest of the clue. And then T is like, sir, how are these things even working? Like, this shouldn't even be possible. And then he was like, Prefect Romero, the impossible is merely the possible for which we don't yet know the science. And then she's like, what? That, made, But that makes no sense. And then he's like, I understand that it's a lot to take in. Normally during freshman trials, I would introduce the laden guns and leave it at that for the day. But, you know, we're kind of in a life and death situation right here. And then it's like, unfortunately, we don't have that kind of time. To survive, we're going to need everything we have. Whereas, Romero, what did I say? Miss Romero, you see that case against the far wall? You remember my lecture on optoelectric camouflage, I hope? And then T is like, like the skin of an octopus. And he's like, exactly. That case contains projection modules. They must be installed around the exterior of the hole just above the water line at one meter intervals. Do you understand? And she's like, uh, yes. I don't understand any of that and he's like good he's like Mr. Couch there's another case on the bench beside you inside it is a pulse dispersion unit please install it on the forward deck it should jam any radar or sonar that tries to find us and he's like uh okay so he turns to Anna and she's kind of like what in the world's happening here and then he says, since the school's founding, we've been able to reproduce some of Nemo's alt tech. Much of it we still can't really understand. But the mission of Harding Pencroft is to safeguard his legacy and keep his technology out of the hands of human society and thwart Land Institute, who, which they'd use it to kind of like dominate the world. And he's like, I'm afraid as of today, the balance of power that has existed between our schools for nearly 150 years has been broken. And Land Institute is on the verge of a final victory. And then she's like, she's confused here. You know, everything's just happened to her. And all of a sudden, she's getting told that parts of this story that all her life she thought was just coincidental and not true is now, like, true. And then she said, I probably look like I've gone crazy, but I can't help it. And then she sits down. And she basically starts laughing, like she's going hysterical or something. It doesn't sound good. And then he was like, I'm sorry, Mr. Carr. And then she corrects him by saying, prefect. And then he was like, I wish I had more time. We spent almost a year orienting your brother. He was being trained to lead to take over what your parents left off. But now that he's gone, I'm afraid I have to ask even more for you. And he's gonna say something else but he's interrupted by this dinging noise from his tablet and he checks it and it doesn't look like it's good news and he says they found us and then jim's hand immediately goes to like his sidearms, and he's like is it the thing that i saw on your screen before what was that and he was like no time to tell alert the crew we're under attack and chapter nine starts off with the first words they literally erupt out of the sea Like, she had time to yell incoming before scuba divers, like, rocketed up out of the surface and onto the starboard side. And all on top of their vehicles, and not on their diver propulsion vehicles, whatever that is. And they're moving, like, faster than she's ever seen someone move in a scuba diving rocket, whatever it is that they're seeing. So they see eight hostile some carrying this strange like silvery weapon kind of that looks like a harpoon guns and others have like grenade launchers like oh yeah these high schoolers out in the middle of the ocean just got this like military grade weapons yeah that's not that's not suspicious at all it's like a world war they're starting a world war right here like no it's fine. It's just a bunch of high schoolers where they couldn't do. And then, two fist-sized metal canisters plunk into the deck, and then Jem yells, "Flashbangs!" What's a flashbang? So Anna shuts her eyes and covers her ears, but the explosion's still very loud. And for a moment, everyone's kind of staggering in this like blue smoke. And by the time they've recovered. Whoever's in the water had fastened their grappling hooks to the rail and they were discarding their oxygen tanks and their DPVs and they were beginning to climb over the wall like they've practiced this for months or something. And then Eloise and Cooper are the first to return fire and they're spraying the attackers with their M4A1s, but it's like they're shooting wax bullets. Like they're pounding against the wetsuits, but they're not even making dents. Like the kids aren't even flinching. And two of them decide to fire their silver weapons and like miniature harpoons impales Elise's shoulder and one in Cooper's leg and like the electricity kind of what happened from a gym hits them and they both both sharks crumple. And then okay, so everyone's kinda mad now. Like, you know, a second ago they were boarding our ship, but maybe they just wanted to have some tea and crumpets, okay? Maybe they were gonna have a tea party. Who knows? but now they've like just attacked two of their friends and they don't even know if they're alive and then jim holds gives her not holds hands her a gun and he's like fire if you see an opening but stay behind me okay sure so then he tosses a gun to two others and like he's santa claus it says and he says point and shoot perfect instructions for sharks Okay, so here's the action. Drew shoots an intruder, but the electricity also hits Nalina, who had been in the process of pummeling said intruder with a socket wrench. Oof, both of them go down. And so there's five enemies left scuffling about with 10 or so of their crew, which happened to be at deck at the time. And they're like, why would they be attacking us with so few people? Where's Dr. Hewitt? Like he hasn't come out from the bridge. And she's starting to believe that he might be the traitor. Uh, I don't know, he could be. What do you guys think? So she notices that the attackers kind of look older, like they're taller, but they look older, but they don't look necessarily like adults. So they're probably other older high schoolers. Like why, if this was so important to them to get like the weapons that are on here, why are they sending, teenagers like why aren't they sending adults like previously trained like alumni or something why aren't they sending them and then she's like the harpoons don't look designed to kill but they are pretty lethal you know she's like after destroying our entire school why are they hesitating to use lethal force and then she's wondering if this is some sort of training exercise but she's like no it can't be because hp is really destroyed like, HP's really gone. But still, something's up here. And then another fellow student, Meadow Newman, is shot point blank with one of those mini harpoon pistols. And she falls, like these electric sparks, sparks like, popping around her. And then it says, Esther gets her revenge by body slamming the guy. Esther is an excellent defensive lineman, and the attacker goes down flailing good job, Esther, and then Top joins into the party, and he's scratching and biting and all, yeah, go Top, and Anna's thinking, this is way too easy, like, what's going on here? Like, she feels like something's missing, And she's thinking, well, maybe they didn't expect there to be so many of us. Like maybe they expected they were just going to find a ship full of terrified freshmen who would just beg for their lives. But she's like, we've almost won. You know, we have like two, three times as many people as they have. And we're bringing them down right now. Like something's wrong. And then she calls out to Jim, but he doesn't hear her between like the sounds of gunfire and the engines and stuff. And she's like, something's wrong. And then she thinks, think like a dolphin, espionage, not frontal assault, you know. And then she realizes what's happening. It's a feint. It's, I don't know, it's a feint. It's like a cover up. It's not the actual real thing. It's a diversion. And then she yells out to him again, and she starts to turn to check the uh, the, the backside of the boat, but she's too slow, and she only made it ninety degrees before someone behind her locks his forearm across her throat and she feels like a sharp pain in the side of her neck. And yeah, something was just injected into her and the gun that she was holding drops from her fingers that went numb. And she says, I've been trained in a dozen ways how to get out of a chokehold, but my knees are turning to putty and my arms hang uselessly at my side. I can't feel anything except the panic building up in my chest. Oof. Well, they were smart. They knew how to get to her i guess i don't know and so some students see her and yeah and so cap the person who's holding on to her says hold your fire or anna Dekar dies and he twists around so that they can see her like full on and so they keep their guns like jim and the other sharks keep their guns pointed at him but they're not like shooting him or anything and yeah tia's over there smashing some dude with a fire extinguisher (laughs) I'm sorry, that's funny. Okay, and she looks at Jim and I, and she's like, just shoot. And then Captors, the captor's like, I wouldn't shoot. Maybe you didn't notice a needle I've got at your friend's neck. Nasty what you can make from sne- s- sea snake venom. She'll survive unless you freshmen get stupid with those lading guns. Shock me and you shock her, and that really wouldn't be good for her nervous system right now. And Jim's like, well, how about I shoot you in the mouth instead? oof that would hurt unless your face is bulletproof too and then he's like i don't care how good you are to shot twain this needle will go into her neck a second dose of sea snake venom definitely fatal i'm going over the side of the boat with dakar and you're not and you're going to let me and then jim says you just think that we're gonna leave our friend behind how about we make a trade and then he starts to laugh and he's like keep them like they're they're talking about the other ones uh, the other captors that they just like knocked out and stuff and he's like none of us can afford to see her get killed can we and so he tumbles backwards over the rail on purpose so they're free falling off the side of the boat and she gets a glimpse of the blue sky and she feels a thunk as they crash into the water and the last sentence says then the cold sea closes over my face like the fold of a burial shroud so, chapter 10, when her head pops back up over the surface, she's, like, choking and spluttering. And she can, she can kind of see her classmates gathered around by the railing, but, you know, everything's kind of blurry because she was just dunked underwater. And so they have their guns trained on him, but, of course, they can't really do anything in case they hit her or, you know, he sticks a needle in her neck. And Jim's like, I've got the shot, sir. Oh, okay, he's going to try now. And then Hewitt's like, stand down, Mr. Twain. And then the captor is like, that's right, stand down, Mr. Twain. And then Hewitt narrows his eyes and he says, Caleb South. I know your voice, don't do this. Okay, so his name's Caleb South. I we ha- He hasn't been mentioned yet, so I don't know who he is. I just wanted to point out that's his name. And then Dave, my captor snarls, keeps his needle on her while I get aboard. Okay, so we have Caleb and Dave. By two evil do says, great, I've been abducted by two evildoers named Caleb and Dave. I wonder if the Land Institute yearbook voted them most likely to open a family restaurant or maybe a gardening center. And so Caleb climbs into the boat and pulls Anna in after him. So, and she's kind of in front of him. So if Jem or someone up there tries to shoot Dave, she's in the line of sight. And then Caleb's like, Dave, hurry. And then he says, I'm trying. The stupid girl shot the monitor. And she's like, that makes me happy. I hope the engine explodes in Dave's face. And then Dr. Hewitt's like, Caleb, listen to me. This is madness. And Caleb says, oh, you know, I remember your lectures. Our plans of madness, blah, blah, blah. But the Aranax is operational now and Harding Pencroft's gone. So maybe you were the crazy one to leave us, huh? And so Anna's like, I don't know what the Aranax is. The name alone kind of gave her shivers. Like she doesn't know what it is, but it sounds dangerous. And she shivers. And she's like, well, I'm the good sign, at least I can shiver. Because, you know, she's kind of been numb. And so she tries to move her head, but it kind of just wobbles a little bit. So she's like, well, hopefully in a little bit, you know, she'll be able to get up. And Hewitt's like, your new toy is something. The car is everything, though. And Caleb said, toy! Like, he's mad. Okay, Hewitt says, after what you did this morning to the Academy, to Anna's brother, she's irreplaceable. And so she's kind of getting creepy creeped out about how these people are talking about her like she's some sort of object they need for i don't know but like he's kind of caleb's trembling behind her and yeah and then dave lets out a ha. he got the engine started and caleb's like goodbye dr hewitt you weren't a good teacher anyway and then she, anna makes like this loud gurgling noise because i think she's trying to talk or something and he's like what's that dakar and she babbles like she's trying to tell him something. But and then when he gets closer, she's like, I need to use the only weapon I have. So she snaps her head backwards and she hears the satisfying crunch of Caleb's nose breaking. Ouch. Crunch. That made me think of cereal for some reason. Like, is that what it would sound like? I've never personally heard someone's nose getting broken. But like, I don't know why that reminded me of cereal. So Caleb screams and his grip kind of loosens just for a moment, but it's enough. So, you know, he's losing grip of her and she twists away the hand that has the poison in it and tosses it over the boat. And she takes a gulp of air and goes underwater. And she still feels like her limbs are made out of soggy noodles, but, you know, she can swim a little. And Dave yelps and Caleb dives into the water after her. And then two shots that Jim fired just ricochet off his suit and caleb grabs her by the hair and starts dragging her back towards the pontoon boat which is rapidly driving away and so he says they told me to bring you back alive but if i can't do that so he starts to raise his free hand and the injector needle comes out of this like ring that slipped on his middle finger um why you got poisonous injections in your ring like you could accidentally stab yourself if you bent your hand the wrong way like you could stab yourself that's that's stupid that's not a very good invention you know maybe in a bracelet or like something else but i wouldn't necessarily have it on your fingers and he's like you're more trouble than you're worth so he puts back his hand to slap her with the poison buzzer ring she says but help comes from an unexpected direction, and then right next to them, they're still in the water, by the way, a mass of sleek blue-gray flesh explodes out of the sea, and Caleb's body slammed into oblivion under the weight of a 600-pound bottlenose dolphin. <gasps> it's Socrates. He's come to the rescue. I knew it. He's going to be the hero of this whole book. And then they break through the surface, and she thinks, Socrates? And then she's like, I have no idea how he found me or how he knew I needed help, but his familiar clicks and squeals leave me no doubt what he was trying to say. I tried to warn you, you silly human. (laughs) Like, I don't actually know if she can speak dolphin or if this is just her way of interpreting what it means, but that's, I mean, that's what it says, so we're going to go with it. (sighs) And that's the end of chapter 10. So yeah, that was a lot for five chapters, but there you go. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, chapters 6 through 10. And next week, we'll be going over chapters 11 through 15, the next five chapters. And I switched up the order because there's about 60 chapters, but it's also a lot shorter than the last book the inheritance games so hopefully the episodes will be a little bit shorter as we go through them so thanks again for listening to this episode and if you haven't watched other episodes or the last book i encourage you to go do that and if you know anyone who might be interested in this podcast point them in that direction or maybe just in this book in general but until next week see ya and um I just think Socrates is going to be the whole hero of this book. Okay, but until we can figure that out, see you next week.